I get to have five days with my co-worker girlies. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. I cannot wait. <laughs> it's going to be so tiring and such hard work. And my feet are going to be so sore. But it's going to be great. Yes. <laughs> we wait. thought we'd get another episode in before it. So welcome yes. to His Film, Her Movie. Hi. I'm Jordan. I'm Lauren. And we are the podcast that answers the question to what lengths will one married couple go to to make the other watch some films that they love. Yes. Welcome. Welcome. So, a bit of a stacked show this week. A bit of an interesting film because I still, have, I still don't know what you actually thought of it. No, you don't yet. It will be an interesting chat, but <laughs> uh, to get our housekeeping out the way, we are a podcast of Pod Syndicate. So you can go over to wearepodsyndicate.com and check out all the other great shows there. You can go to hisfilmhermovie.com and you can follow us on our socials, emailers, all that good stuff. Yes. And this week's show, we are covering 1981's Thief, the James Kahn starring Michael Mann debut. Can't wait for that. But... Before we get into the meat and veg of it all, we'd start every episode with what's been keeping us entertained. So what has been keeping you entertained this week, Lauren? Well, yet again, very sorry, but uh, if I pay for a streaming service, I should have all access to everything (laughs) yet again. Try to watch stuff last week. Could I find it? No. You go into it the wrong way around. If somebody can tell me where I can find the first new Jumanji film, please send us an email. I thought, I really like Jumanji. I love the first one. I'm going to watch it. I haven't seen like the new second one, first yeah. thing. The first one with the rocking. Haven't seen it. Thought, oh, we'll watch a bit of that. Went to go find it. Can I find it? Can I bugger? I can find the original Jumanji and I can find the new Jumanji part two, but I can't find part one. So I got annoyed, um, tried everywhere. Yeah, didn't like that. This, this is your way of streaming services, right? Okay. <laughs> Why you, not you, have you, all you, the Jumanjis? You've right? got a bag of Skittles in front of you. <laughs> yeah. But you're like, I'm looking for a Malteser. It's not here. <laughs> That is what you going on to Netflix. Looking and Amazon for Prime and Sky and Disney. Couldn't find it anywhere. But Netflix have the other two. Why not have that? I can't watch the second new Jumanji film. If I haven't seen the first, I could miss some important character yeah, you development. Have to watch the first one. Yeah, but I can't because I couldn't find you it. it. I'm not buying it. It should be on Netflix. Anyways. Because I couldn't find Jumanji, I instead found a different film. Yeah. And I'm very pleased I actually watched this film. I very much um, enjoyed it. It's uh, the 2021 film Mixtape that was on Netflix. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's directed by Valerie Weiss. 
And it's basically um, about this young girl. It's set in 1999. Okay. Her parents are sadly dead, but they, from a car accident, she grew up with her grandma and her parents were like 16, 17 when um, they had her so they were very young and she didn't really know, didn't really know anything about them and she basically finds a mixtape that her parents have made she tries to play the mixtape it breaks but she's still got like the songs mm. and she sees it as being a sign of learning more about her parents so she goes on like a little quest to be able to get these songs and she goes and she finds the first one and it just sets off like a whole load of different things it's she's obviously like i think she's maybe meant to be like about 11 or 12 it is a very tween sort of film it's a great soundtrack really really good um i um really enjoyed it because it was a whole thing about exploring grief and the different levels of grief and how people deal with it differently um, it also had a little nod to the Y2K phenomenon <laughs> that was happening um, in that they've got lots of tins of spam in their house in right. case, which I thought was quite a funny little nod to things. Uh, yeah, and I it, I did. I really enjoyed it. Um, it's a really nice film. It's not too long. Mm -hmm. It's um, definitely worth the watch. And yeah, it was great. It's also very funny for me because the little girl was like discovering like her parents' fashion because they were sort of like rocker punks. Yeah, yeah. But in 1999 was when that sort of pop punk sort of era was kind of starting and happening. So she starts wearing the same clothes that her parents were wearing like a decade before. And now the teens are now wearing the stuff that I wore as a teen like 15 years ago. So it's very much the cyclical nation, the cyclical notion of fashion and music and inspiration and all that sort of stuff. So I liked it. I thought it was really, really good. Good. We also watched um, the 355. We did. Now... We'd seen... It was, we saw Jessica Chastain on Graham Norton, didn't we? Yeah. And I really like her. I think she always seemed like a really nice person. Mm -hmm. And the cast was like, oh, there's quite a lot of different people in this cast. It should be quite a good sort of nice mix. You've got Sebastian Stan for a bit of male eye candy. All great. I, I don't remember any of their names. Um, well, as in the characters. Yeah, I've literally oh, just got... Yeah. Sebastian Stan as an CIA agent. I don't know what his name was, though. It's just Sebastian Stan. I mean, it's yeah. a great name. Why would you want to change it? Yeah. It's been like Brian or something. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, this is... It's one that I kind of hoped would be good because you want these sorts of films to succeed because yes. it's a female-led action film. They don't get greenlit often. Mm-hmm. But this was utterly, utterly awful. Do you know what really set it off so, for me so to begin with? What? Um, when, like, literally within the first five minutes, it's like, Colombian. I was like, that's a drug lord's house. Yeah. And then the guy comes out with the most stereotypical Colombian accent. And I was just like, oh, baby, it's, why? See, see, some some. Cliches are a thing because they work un unless like you don't bring anything else to it. He was just a Colombian drug lord. And, and and I think that's it on 
the shoulders of the director. And I think I do believe it's his fault. Simon Kinberg, I mean, he's only directed one other film because he was a writer mm-hmm. predominantly before that. So was he a good writer? He did. He was sort of like the creative writer of the new X-Men movies and he directed X-Men Dark Phoenix. That was his first oh, film. Oh, but people really didn't like that. Exactly. Film. And, yeah, it just feels like it doesn't have, and we can go talk about the idea of this, but no, like, zero vision. And so that might be because he was a writer, but he just doesn't seem to have bring his own ideas to it mm-hmm. because it's a film that, tries to be a little Bond, it tries to be a little Jason Bourne, and it, and it wants to have that kinetic energy that other action thrillers have, but it never really gets going. And the thing is, I would normally call a film like this vanilla. Yeah. Straight down the line. But honestly, I would... Was that an insult to vanilla? I was about to say, yeah, it's an insult to vanilla because vanilla can be tasty, this is like 0% fat, unsweetened Greek yogurt. Oh, that's it's, so depressing. It's, it's not that good, but it doesn't even give you the enjoyment of being over-sugared to actually... like give it doesn't you give something. You, it doesn't give you the overblown action, dumbness. You know what I mean? That sort of stuff that you... It, Feels very over the top, but it's entertaining. Where this, like a Die Hard or something. Well, die Hard is dumb. Die Hard's incredible. Die, but it is. It's but over like, the like, top. Like, There's like, over the top explosions yeah. and things. So even if you're like, oh, I don't like the story, you've at least got. Do you know what? That was a pretty damn good bit of pyrotechnic work there. Yeah, but it's like even like the films of Michael Bay or yes, everything explodes and then there's some boobs. Yes. So it didn't. It didn't even have the courtesy to sort of masquerade its own blandness because it was just bland. And it's, it's when we're watching, when you're watching a film and we're telling each other, which yeah. we were, what is going to happen in the scene before it's happened. I do that all the time. But it, it's... But actually, no, you were joining in this time and you normally don't. You normally go, oh, really? You guessed that? And I'm like, yeah. I have just no. I've just thought of something. Well, okay, this film, I, I, I'm going to think believe that the demographic the target demographic are women like myself mm. joy film like an action film something to see ourselves in yeah do you know what i've remembered who said michael bay and we're talking about explosions and boobs jessica chastain is the one who gets her boobs out she's only done it a couple of times yes no men got their boobs out no i'm sorry gotta be equal they should do. It should be completely equal. There was a lot of men shot. No man boobs. <laughs> no man. Sebastian Stan wouldn't have man boobs though. He'd have, he'd have a chiselled chest. You know what I mean though. No yes. pectoral muscles. There's of no the visual male. eye candy for there the There was female. no, which sounds which sounds very very sexist. But in these kinds of films, there is always some sort of visual eye candy. Because now that I look back and I think about it, I feel like the target demographic was women like myself for getting us into an action mm. and i say action with air quotes but then the way it looked was to try and entice men to go and watch it and it's that one of those and we'll talk about this after the film as well it's when you've got a cast when they're doing their action scenes that don't look comfortable doing them and yes. this is where it's like even though it's not the same kind of film it's it's, it's an action 
film led by a female, but it's sort of an arty action film. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Soderbergh's Here Wire, mm-hmm. Gina Carano in the lead, who never acted before, um, which is because she, she is ropey at times, but within those fight scenes, within those action scenes, that's where she shines. You feel every single blow, and she can pull off the stunts. So it's either they needed more training or you needed to shoot round it a little bit more and and, and hide it. I feel like, yeah, because when we just sort of discussed it, and I know you'd, you'd said to me, oh, I don't want to sound sexist, but no, usually when you have a man who's fighting, he's well-built mm. and he's big. Like when you see in the Marvel films, they're all muscular men who, when they fight, because they're big, it looks like the punch is going to hurt. The thing is, when you get um, women, female actresses tend to be more of a slight build. Still muscular, but more slight, because that is what Hollywood asks of them, to look a certain way. So when they are punching and they're doing things, they don't have the same weight behind. It's in form. and Yeah, so I feel like... They should have maybe looked at a different style of fighting. Maybe. There's plenty of other different styles of fighting that aren't just like punch, punch, stab, stab, that don't require the same kind of upper body momentum. You tend to find that women are much stronger in their legs if you use a different kind of like mixed media, martial mm-hmm. arts or something that would then go more for an incredibly strong woman, but an incredibly strong woman to Hollywood's beauty standards that isn't... Because Gina Carraro, she's she's a big lady because that has been her career. Yes. So, like you said, when she punches somebody, you're like, that hurt. Because she has got... She's got the correct form, but she's got the muscle behind it. I'm sure if Jessica Chastain punched you, it would still hurt, but it's not going to look the same and it's not going to feel the same because she is of a slighter build... Yeah, and it's it's one of those it's it's a thing of like it doesn't again it doesn't seem to have been thought of like no. you know what I mean it's like let's try and do something different or it's but it's just so and not even that it looks bland like oh. it's everything is so flat there's no depth to any of the shots no it's it's as if somebody's got a HDV camera and just shot and it and just shot it with it with a it's a Bismal filmmaking. I was actually going to say, um, uh, just thinking, a very good example of the type of, like, say, fighting we're talking about mm-hmm. is when they have Scarlett Johansson as Black Widow and her style of fighting is very fluid. It's very almost dance-like. But she, she looks like, when she's doing it, you believe that she could be mm. like, okay, yeah, that, that woman's going to murder you because of how they're doing it. And there was also lighting. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. Um, The actress, what was it? Bing Bing Fan. I'm sorry. They could not light her throughout any of this. No. 90% of her shots, it looked like they'd put her on a green screen. And yeah. she was standing in the same thing. And I just feel like, how how have you not lit? She's a beautiful woman. She was obviously giving it her all. And you can't even be bothered to light her correctly to make her look like she's even in the same yeah, room yeah. as everybody else. And I was just, it wound me up. Yeah. It wound me bad, up. So if I see a worse film than that this year, and it is currently, as we record, February the 2nd. <laughs> yeah, no. It'll be... Too soon. Uh, too soon, yeah, absolutely. Um, going on to me. Yeah. The first one I want to talk about 
is Parallel Mothers, the new yes. Pedro Almodovar starring Penelope Cruz, Milena Smith, is Janice and Anna, who are two women who meet when in hospital and they're both about to give birth. Both pregnancies were unplanned and both women are currently single. Now, don't uh, give too much away because it is a brand new movie. It is. So I would, and that is basically all I'm going to say about it. And a bit, their stories intertwine mm-hmm. throughout the film um, as they both deal with motherhood um, in their ways. And yeah, what I like about Pedro Moldovar is, and we've talked about one of his films on the podcast, The Skin I Live In, mm-hmm. but and, this, and that's a very true genre film, but... It's how he manages to hide genre into what could have been seen as a run-of-the-mill melodrama. Mm-hmm. It's a gift, really, because it's how he takes a story and makes it feel just a tad off-centre, which completely changes the way that you watch it and the way that you read it. Mm-hmm. Everything has a bit of a off kilter unease mm-hmm. to it, and that little shred of darkness which I really, really do enjoy. And it's, yeah, some of the moments can be quite sinister and triggering, but the story is so engaging that you sort of look past it and then it's not really until you're after the fact where you're thinking, do you know what? This is actually a way darker film than it's portraying. Yeah. Um, and, we get, and the way he creates tension and that, and that feeling of unease is so damn good. The only criticism... I'll probably have of it is that there's a subplot revolving around Penelope Cruz's character trying to exhume her grandfather from one of the unmarked mass graves where he was killed and buried after after the Spanish Civil War during the Francoist dictatorship. Mm-hmm. And although it's interesting and obviously important to Almodovar. It doesn't fit the film. It doesn't add anything. It's not that it doesn't add anything. It just feels like a completely different film. So when you do get scenes when it's evolving that, um, especially in like the third act, it's like, why are we getting this ending? This isn't what we've been... Well, it's not where the momentum's been taken us. Yeah. And it just feels really, really jarring. Um, because, yeah, it's... What is going on with Janice and Anna and their children is, is way more interesting. Not interesting, that's a wrong word, but it's just, that's what the film is about. It's more engaging. Yes. Um, and, and although I think there should be, a, there could be a film about the burials and everything like that, and Almodovar could do a great job. It's just not, it doesn't belong in this movie. It's so weird that it's there. Mm-hmm. But as always, Penelope Cruz is a damn delight, especially when she works with, Amorvar, you can really see that they trust each other and are happy to go into the the, the dark, interesting avenues. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. It's not top tier, yeah, but it's damn good. Have you have you seen anything else? Got my usual murders. Usual murders. Usual murders. Um, I don't really think no. I have watched anything else. I have tried. I have. Be, I did try. Watched. Those two extra films. Um, no, but well, I've got a couple more, and I think you'll be able to talk about one thing. Okay. But the next one I want to talk about is one that I have a bit of a relationship with because it's the Coen Brothers 
Hail Caesar. Now, when I first watched Hail Caesar, I don't like it. I've seen this film well, twice before. Right. And I didn't like it either time. Okay, so why did you watch it three times? Well, it's because there's some critics out there that I respect. Okay. Who really put it up there with some of the Coen's best. Okay. And I, I'm always willing to, especially when it's the Coen's, because their output is so incredible throughout mm-hmm. the last 40 years that I always want to give it a good, another go. Now, there's, there's a few Coen Brothers films that I don't get on with. I do, I've seen Burn After Reading quite a few times now, and mm-hmm. I just don't, I don't see it. It, it doesn't hit me. But the, this third watch of Hill Caesar, I actually finally think I got on the film's wavelength, and I just found myself chuckling through it, like throughout the entire runtime. Okay. And it, yeah, it's one of those rare talents that the Coen brothers have because it's how they can create nuance and take on big ideas in what is basically a slapstick farce. Okay. And the film's basically a day in the life of a guy called Eddie Maddox, who's a 1950s Hollywood studio fixer. And um, we played by Josh Brolin, um, who struggles to try and keep the, the, the big stars of the studio under control. You've got George Clooney, who is the lead of their new huge production called Hail Caesar mm-hmm. um, about two Roman soldiers at the time of, of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got George Clooney who gets kidnapped by communists. Sorry, I then got confused and thought, why would a Roman soldier be around at well, the same time as communists? He's an actor. He's playing. I know around. that bit, but I got really confused. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you've got Scarlett Johansson as a pregnant, unmarried actress, a star at the time of 1950s. You've got Alden Ehrenreich as an actor who was a star of Westerns, who the studio have decided to change his image. Okay. So he ends up, finds himself cast in this period drama. Okay. So, yeah, we follow Brolin from scene to scene while he's spinning the hundred plates he needs to do to keep the, keep the studio running. And looking back, I don't know what I was missing or if I went in looking for something else mm-hmm. when I, I watched it before because... I mean, there are some individual scenes in this that just shine. I mean, two in particular, uh, Ray Fiennes, who plays the director of this period piece, and Alden Ehrenreich, who has this really southern twang to mm-hmm. him. But Ray Fiennes is trying to get him to speak proper. Mm-hmm. And it's it's wonderful. And then there's another scene where, because the studio is making a big religious epic, they get all the heads of... Um, the local sort of different religious groups. So you've got a rabbi there, you've got a priest there, you've mm-hmm. got all these different religions. And it's like, he's just asking the questions of like, so does this offend you? And what do this part, did this part? But then it's just, it's a bit fascinating because it's it shows you that you're never going to Make suit. everybody happy. Yeah. And it's, it's brilliantly, brilliantly done. But yeah, and it's, I like how it's, a love letter to the era and to the studio system, but also like a damning criticism of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real nice balance, and it's how it plays like a comedic sketch, especially with the Clooney um, plot mm-hmm. of like a alternate fantasy of 
what Joe McCarthy must have been thinking what Hollywood was like during yeah. the blacklist of this. Everybody was plotting their, we, uh, their sort of agendas to bring in the Russian red um, communist party. And it's, a brilliant like little insight into that and yeah it's it's got so many undertones going on and i just think i might have missed all this stuff because it is so farcical in nature like that might have in a way occupied my thoughts other than what you could see was going underneath okay all the crazy all the craziness so third time's a charm third time is absolutely a charm so yeah i'm, I'm really happy that i can put it on a rotation i know i'm going to enjoy it in okay. the future okay good the only other thing, not a film, mm-hmm. that we both watched, mm-hmm. I think in two sittings, mm-hmm. was the third and final season of Afterlife. Yes. Yes, we did. I knew there was something else that we were watching. So this is Ricky Gervais's show yes. um, on Netflix. And I don't really have much to say on it, but it's just, I kind of like this show. It's silly and it's crass. It's very British humour. Yeah, and it's sentimental, but it's 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 nothing new. It's nothing outbreaking. But it's, it's, I think it just got a nice heart to it. I think it's the quietness mm. of it. I th- feel like you tend to watch a lot of these type of things, and you have people like sort of screaming and crying, and the grief coming out like like that. The way Ricky Gervais sort of plays it, I feel is a much quieter version. Mm. It's something a lot more private. There are so many scenes of him literally just watching videos on his computer where it is just literally him in silence with the dog. And although you've got like the background noise of the video playing and then you're like in the video and you're seeing it happening, you've also then got to think, but he's also sitting watching this at the same time and he's not saying anything. Yeah, the stillness to it. Yeah, and I just feel like it's done incredibly well, and I think that it's done incredibly well with audiences because it's much more relatable, I feel, I think in that, the yeah. grief and in the grieving process and not in the sense of moving on but rebuilding mm. after a loved one has died. There is, of course, like the funny bits and slightly absurd bits and outrageous character characters, but... I think that is just, it's set in a very specific sort of type of mm. England that it's a very small community. And I feel like if you were in anything like that, there would be outrageous characters. Yes, you're probably not going to be inviting the local prostitute around for a cup of tea and have a natter, but there is going to be crazy characters that you can be like, oh, yeah. that's so-and-so. We have them in Carlisle where we'll be like, oh, yeah, that's that guy and he does this and that's that lady and she, everybody knows this. Everybody knows this person or you've seen them. It's the same thing. And I feel like it's something that very much resonates um, with people because it's like, okay, I might not know that person, but I can, I know of who would be my mm. person. Yeah, that's, I, I just think there's a warmth to it. And I say it's not, it's not groundbreaking, but for what six episodes, 20 minutes, five minutes an episode, it's, there's a worse way to spend your time. Oh my god, I cried so much. <laughs> I cried so much. Cause I just um see, I like Ricky Gervais. Um, but like we watched him on Graham Norton as well the mm. other week, and he's always uh he's so sarcastic and so dry. And I feel like a lot of 
people maybe don't like him because of that. Mm. And this character isn't, I wouldn't say he's the most likable of characters, but because he's so much more, he's he's like a, he's a real human in it that just makes you cry. Oh my God, it was um, when his little friend and the way who he sits with on the bench and mm. she was like, oh yeah, you're my angel. And I was like, oh, I'm just crying. <laughs> oh, he's an angel. <laughs> Honestly, and then she was going, dogs are angels because they help people. And I was like, angel, you're a cat. I'm sure you are an angel. Nah, you're not. <laughs> but do you know what I mean? It was just like little things like that. And it's just, it, it it's great. Yeah. I would watch the all, all the seasons again. No, that's it. And you can do it very quickly. It, yeah. it, it doesn't take much of your time up. So, yeah, it's a series that I actually really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's probably it for what we've been watching. I think so. I haven't been watching much else. I won't have had a chance to watch much next week. No. I'll have to do all of it next week. You have to do all of it. I can tell you all about my work trip away. No. I think people would love to know about Game of Thrones <laughs> and Harry Potter. Yeah, maybe the actual TV shows and films and books, but not the giftware. Giftware, <laughs> bringing joy every day, Jordan. Bringing joy every day. But we will have a short break, and we'll come back with my choice, Thief. Want to put down contract scores all over the country, working directly for me. I am self-employed. I am doing fine. I don't deal with egos. I am Joe, the boss of my own body. So what the fuck do I have to work for you for? Maybe you don't. I'll lay it out. You can be the judge. You don't look. You don't case. You don't do nothing. We point you to a score. When we say it's there, it's there. They're all laid out scores. And they worked up. Alarm system diagrams, blueprints, sometimes a front door key, sometimes the scores are in on it. Everybody's ripping off the insurance company. Work cars, drops, tools. Whatever you need, you'd see me. I'd be your father. Money, guns, cars. I'd be your father from here on out. It's my end. You get a price. No negotiation about the price. We got expenses here you don't have, but you'll know the price up front. How big? Boxcar. Nothing under six figures. I'll make you a millionaire in four months. I go to work for you. I'm pulling a lot of exposure. Our protection trades at all. Yeah, take a bust. Turn around, there's going to be a lawyer. Bondsman right there. You never spend a night in jail. Look, I steal ice. No furs, no coin collections, no stock certificates, no cottage, no treasury bonds, no nothing. Just diamonds or cash. Fine. No cowboy shit, no home invasions. I work with a partner. We take care of you. A partner is strictly your responsibility. He beefs on you, that's your problem. He beefs on us, that's your problem too. Well, you're inside people. That's my end. You don't have to know anything about that. So what do you say, Frank? Right, yo, so Thief from 1981, the feature film debut of Master Michael Mann, stars James Kahn as the titular Thief, Frank. Yeah. Frank is, by all accounts, a, a local business owner. He has a used car dealership. He has a bar. But they are just fronts for his real life as an expert safe cracker and jewel mm-hmm. thief. He begins dating Jesse, played by Tuesday World, and decides that he's going to do one more big job 
Before going straight and retiring. First off. Yes. Very impressed you've got everybody's names. I have Frank and Willie Nelson. That's didn't work out anybody else's name in this. Leo. Well, you got Leo. You've got... Um, oh, I also... David, his son. Yes. And we'll get to that. <laughs> that bit in a minute. But yeah. One of the main reasons for picking this movie is probably the most obvious part of it. And that's the style and the soundtrack of this movie. Both are pretty iconic. Uh, Michael Mann shooting cityscapes at night and Tangerine Dream with that synth score are just both like chef's kiss. Incredible. And for me, it's the atmosphere it creates and how that fits the story so well because because what I think Thief does exceptionally well is provide a little eye to the keyhole of us catching a glimpse of what real-life criminal life is like. Mm-hmm. Um, especially for those career criminal types, the working class of criminal, and when the status quo gets upended and when you can get seduced by that quick way out, mm-hmm. that quick fix, um, as Frank does by joining um, Leo's crew, um, played by Robert Protsky, Prosky, sorry, and we'll get on to Robert Prosky later. But yeah, the, the the life that he's build, been building up and how it shatters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And one of the, the main questions I sort of want to ask you, because it's a bit of a unique thing, is that what did you think of Frank as a character, as James Kahn, as Frank as a character? I don't find any kind of... I didn't, I didn't really like any characters well no i mean like in this but like i mean it was all right see for me it's it's the tough guyness of him it's the confidence that he has and that like take no shit persona that just fits the character so well and Khan has the chops both physically and presence wise to pull it off and Mm -hmm. he, he feels organic to that world like it makes sense. Like you, a less effective version of this film would have the main character be um, somebody with a heart of gold who yeah. who only steals to survive to, or to, to look after or for morally ones. good reasons. If that makes sense, like the morally right reasons. Yeah. But Frank is a character that's shadowed in morals that fully fit the shades of grey. Mm-hmm. He. He is a criminal because he likes being a criminal. Yeah, which um, I get. He finds it that that's the easy way of life, and he he's not a good guy. No, but he's not necessarily a terrible guy either. Yeah, I think that was it. Like he's not terrible, but he's not right. Yeah, um, he, he just for me, he just feels like he belongs in that world. You get those volatile personalities within that because otherwise, it, it just seems to be authentic. I have to ask, there was a James Belushi. John Belushi's Jim Belushi is John Belushi's brother, yeah. That was it. Okay, yeah. And this was his first feature film. Has he been in many more? Oh Lords. He was in a sitcom in the early two thousands. Being Lords. He was in the he was in the sequel to Blues Brothers. 
as Chompelouse's younger brother. I can't remember watching the, sitcom, the second Chompelouse Brothers. Blues Brothers 2000. I don't think I watched it. I think I was like, nah, the original's perfect. I don't need to see the second. He's, no, he's an actor. He's been working for since this, okay. so yeah. Um, now, for me... Yes? The synthesizer Tangerine Dream. Yes. If you're going to say something bad about Tangerine Dream score, I'm going to... Fairy of its time. But it's Fairy of perfect. its time. To showcase, like, fast pace, the robbery, especially when you're first doing it, get your heart up. Maybe because it's, like, synthesizer, it's, like, ooh, futuristic, professional, masculine. <laughs> I was just, like, blooming heck, there's a lot of synthesizers in this film. There's a lot of synth. There's a lot of synth. There's the work synth, there's the day-to-day synth, there's the sexy time synth. There's a lot of synthesizers happening in this film. Um, Films should have synthesizers, all um, films. There was a beautiful shot towards the start of Frank uh, talking to a guy who was fishing Mm -hmm. overlooking the water, and I was like, that shot is beautiful. It also looks incredibly fake. I don't think it was. But, like, the water just looked... It sounds like, when I say this, right, it sounds so stupid. But it looks but like, yeah. It look, the water looked too big. Mm. Does that make sense? No, it does. I think and... if you see it, and I think if you um, actually, like, watch it again, the water just seems all-encompassing, but it was beautiful. And that was possibly my most favourite shot of the entire film. Well, and it happens very, very early on. I just does. looked at it and I was like, that is a beautiful, beautiful shot. And that I thought silhouette. that silhouette of them, the water sort of rippling for little waves. And I was just like, and that was really the only thing that I saw Frank do that was genuinely being nice. It wasn't going to benefit him in any way. He wasn't going to get laid. He wasn't going to get a family. He wasn't going to be doing anything. But um, just offering a guy a Danish whilst yeah. he was... Um, fishing. fishing, and I was like, "That's nice." And, I, and then I was like, "Oh, do you know what? Maybe I'm going to like this guy." And then he just didn't really do anything uh, after that. Um, so I'm guessing, I'm guessing that you, this, you weren't a huge fan of this movie. Of course, I doodled quite a bit. I oh, doodled God. a castle, and I doodled a book, and a Why? dagger, and some stars, and a snake, so I... and some flowers. <laughs> So what, it what, was what, a very long. It was like two hours long. It was very long. Um, and then you sort of felt, I was like, oh, look, he's done the job. And then they've gone on holiday. Yay. And then it wasn't finished. And I was like, oh, great. Okay. Crime doesn't pay, children. Doesn't not pay in this film. Um, so stylost- like stylistically, what did you think? I thought it, it looked great. Yeah, it, I thought it looked really, really nice. Um, I thought that, you know, um, whilst I'm sorry, I'm not the biggest fan of Tangerine Dream, I thought it was an interesting choice and a very good stylistic choice to mm-hmm. use them for the soundtrack. Um, I loved the fake blood when people were shot. It was so over the top and, like, ridiculous. See, I love a good squib. Yeah, some of them were definitely just, like, there was, like, bloody bits on the floor yeah. at one point. Hilarious. Thought it was great. Um, Leo's agonizing scream when he was already shot point blank through the forehead. 
Didn't know a dead person could scream like that. <laughs> um, I just called him Big Mafia Boss. <laughs> the thing is, the thing is when, I, when, when I think about this film, yeah, the thing that I think about is reflections. Oh, oh, can I, can I just go through my yeah. before before we get into like the serious bit? Willie Nelson. So, yeah, can we talk we, about Willie Nelson? Well, well, all I was going to say about Willie Nelson was big name. I don't know if it was a big name then. Willie Nelson, yeah, 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 yeah. Guys in it for less than like five minutes. And I'm sorry, spoiler alert for like a 30-year-old film, literally steps out of the door of the prison and dies. So my, my thing with Willie Nelson, well, actually, I think he was a big name. I mean, probably in music. Um, Still big name. Big, big, but my one comment about Willie Nelson in this movie, and I don't know why it, it hit me this time, but when James Khan goes to see him in prison, yeah. Throughout that scene, he looks at James Khan like he wants to marry him. Like that's just Willie Nelson. It's a proper sexual tension, like the lovingly long looks that he's giving James Khan because he's free. He's, but he's not free. He's still in prison. No, James Khan's free. Though well, James Khan can get up and walk away. He's looking lovingly at him because he's like, it's "Boy, just, I want to be you." It's just such a weird performance because he's like looking down. He's always looking at like his lips and his mouth. But right, okay, back to reflections. Okay, so. The shot of his car bonnet as the neon signs of the stores and the theatres as he's driving. Yeah. Wonderful. Like, the hanging lights of his car dealership on all the different sort of windscreens and parts of the car. It is so eye-catching. And it's it's even the the idea that... And I watched an interview with Michael Mann um, about the film and how... When you're down on the ground level on the street, mm-hmm. he shot it in a way that you don't see the tops of buildings. So therefore, it feels more claustrophobic okay, and cool. prison-like, especially at night. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sort of stuff is something that Michael Mann comes back to over and over his career. I mean, he's famously known for shooting cityscapes at night, mm-hmm. like how we can... There's nobody better than him. If you ever see Collateral, yeah. um, the Tom Cruise, Jamie Foxx movie, it is unreal. And J- Michael Mann went to make Heat as well, mm-hmm. the, the De Niro Pacino, probably one of the best heist films of, of modern cinema. But, yeah, for me, it's one of the, the, the purest, purest of crime movies. Mm-hmm. And I think especially with the, the way it looks, with the score, and we're, we're talking about Simon Kimberg before but for a first film it's just so obvious that michael mann had a vision yeah and he knew how to tell his story where that is always going to bring some sort of weight to any movie mm-hmm. but as i said it's, it's the purest kind of crime movies and, and the heists themselves are great the opening scene with all the lovely extreme close-ups of the gear and the tools and even the, the torture that they use for the main heisting. Mm-hmm. And it goes down, I think, to the, to the details because they actually had thieves consult on the film. Oh, really? Like, the, the sort of antagonising cop who stops him when he's um, driving. Is that the one 
who cop had a huge rifle instead of a handgun. Yes. And I put totally unnecessary. Well, that's America, so of course it's totally unnecessary. But that guy is a guy called John Santucci. Mm-hmm. Now he was a geo thief. Oh, okay. And a, a safe cracker. Mm-hmm. So when they were actually doing all the, the the research for the movie, like all of the tools that you see and all of the equipment that they use mm-hmm. is the same equipment that he used to break into safes. That's pretty cool. I like that. And talk about instant production value. You yeah. don't get better production value than the actual gear that has been used. And Again, you've talked about like the, the Tangerine Dream. If you say if you don't like it, you don't like it, and, and the neon and everything like that. But it's a film that screams cool to me. Yes, and, I, yeah, it, I, I got that. And it's it, it, it's not even trying to either. It's a massive influence on. It is just cool. Yeah, it is just cool, and it's it's a, it's a massive influence on Nicholas Winden reference Drive from two thousand eleven, the Ryan Gosling film, even mm-hmm. to the the fact that both of their title fonts are like neon pink mm-hmm. um it's a weird point but what i actually kind of like about this and again kind of like Rafif, you like the analogness of it yeah it, it, it's a drill it's the um massive blowtorch yeah i put down at least they have safety equipment to make it more realistic yes that's it. stupid that's things a, like that and I that's thought... a consultancy with the people who are actually doing it because they knew how to to get the most out of it but so what i kind of like about heist movies is that basically, like life, if somebody finds a way to secure something or make it hard to steal, somebody will always find a way to steal it. Yeah. It's the anything on the internet is if you put it behind something. Somebody's going to hack in and get it. Get it for free. I, I, I really do like that. But here's a question also. Yeah. What did you think about the ending? Because it's kind of a famously down and dour ending i think i thought it was very much a whole crime doesn't pay Mm. i did write that you know he had this like little picture collage very sort of like 80s teen girl manifestation board sort of style thing that he had in his little wallet very cute and uh he basically just like Lit, he literally threw it away because he was throwing away his dream family, mm. his dream life, everything so that way he could protect them. Yeah. Which happened after Willie Nelson died and he didn't want to do um, any more jobs. But then Leo, of course, was like, nope, you're going to do another job. I got you a baby. I got you a house. You're happy. All this. Um, I did. I did write down that Frank did say the day he, Willie Nelson, died, our son was born. Mm. My phone is in such shock. That was lies. Uh, yeah. And that was lies because that baby was sitting up by itself. That baby was nearly weaned. So I think the baby, when they said born, I think joined. Oh, you know what I mean? I, I know, but then you don't be like, oh, it, look, it's our newborn baby. I think they were like, the guy was like, oh, well, what's what's your baby's name? Oh, he doesn't have one. This baby's like six months old. What have you <laughs> think? How, don't, you, you are raising suspicion by the fact that you have a six-month child that hasn't got a name. Yeah, it's, it, that is a bit strange, but um, 
I mean, for like for me, the it is it's a pretty dark ending. It is very dark, and it's yeah, it's that reminds me of like the conversation of the fact that the the main character finally understands that they are unable to have the lives that they want. I mean, and, and from Frank, it's the it's the sins of his past stopping him having yeah. the future that he was starting to build. Yeah, and I, and I think that that is quite interesting. But and we're getting we're getting to the the end of this now. I mean, as you can say, I mean, I look this this film is just incredible to me. But James Khan, okay, yeah, what would happen in Hollywood today if one of the stars of the time took his shirt off and they had hairy shoulders? Well, uh, didn't that happen in Forty Year Old Virgin? Well, I see, but no. Is it, He's not like a sex symbol. Like, James Khan was a sex symbol. She's so hairy. And he's got a full woolly jumper going on. But it's of the time, but it's it's so interesting to see that <sighs> of that time, that wasn't seen, that was seen as masculine, and that was seen as attractive. Don't mind a hairy chest. It's when it gets past the chest and goes onto the shoulders it's like, and the back. Imagine. I'm like, no. Imagine Ryan Reynolds or... I don't know, The Rock taking their shirts off in films and having hairy shoulders. I don't believe The It'll Rock be... has ever had chest hair. That man is too smooth. That man is waxed and shaved. Until... That man he... is like a statue. And I mean that with the most utmost respect and love for Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Pretty he's much not real. It's alopecia, man. He's not alopecia. He's got eyebrows <laughs> and eyelashes. But like, I feel like The Rock is probably a bad example yeah but yeah i like ryan you know what i mean it's just it's but also movie audiences have changed again, well sight has changed and what what's, what's, what's being seen is attractive has changed but it's weird looking back and just seeing like full-on woolly jumper and people were thinking probably thinking at the time do you know that was that's pretty hot yeah <laughs> it's the shoulders yeah it, it's, it's the woolly shoulders okay but, and my final um, point yes. is Robert Prosky, the guy who played Leo. What else is he in that I know? So is Does he, he play is like he... a dad or a granddad he, well, or something? He's in Miracle on 34th Street. Yes. Oh, yes, he is. That's um, where I know him from, my childhood. So this, he was 50 years old and this was his first film role. So there's still time for us yet. Yes, but it's what a performance for your first film oh, role. Yeah. I it's, thought this is well into his career. And that's it. It's, it's, you've got this paternal nature. And you, you can understand how somebody can trust him because he's got the charm. But He's got the eye twinkle. Yeah, he's got the grandfather eye twinkle. But yeah, it's like you could imagine, I mean, listen, I've had like a really bad time. Would you be able to help me? Imagine going, yeah, of course, I'd help you, i help you. And two weeks later going, by the way, now you've got to do me a favour. Yeah, and that's it. But he, he, he always seems dangerous. And that, that POV shot of him, that scene. Yes. Where you're looking up and he's looking down at you. He's, in the, with the sunglasses on, it's just damn fine acting. I mean, you'd done theatre before, but film theatre acting is completely different. And he yeah. carries off that scene perfectly. He's, he's like... And that's what great casting does for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, he was my favourite part. Mm. I thought he was great. Um, I would much rather have heard more of him. 
than of Frank. It's a shame. But no, I, say, I, I love this movie. I say, if you, if you didn't like it, you didn't like it. You, you can't it, like everything. It wasn't, it wasn't for me. I've watched it. I can tick it off my list. I can, you know, be like, I've seen it. And mm. there was bits of it that I really enjoyed. Um, I doodled some nice pictures mm. in it. Um, and I listened to a lot of synthesizer music. Yeah, you did. It wasn't. Might get that vinyl, actually. That'll be amazing. Uh, if anybody doesn't know, we've got a we've got a record player. We Stole do. all my parents' vinyl. Yeah. Jordan is still yet to buy a single vinyl because he, he is so indecisive that he can't decide on what his first vinyl will be. No, I'm terrible. I have a list. <laughs> I have a huge list of vinyl that I'm going to buy. <laughs> oh, yes, but we might as well call it an end to the show. Yes. That was Thief. That was the third in the heist. heist season. Yes. Next up is your choice. <laughs> We're going to watch a film that Jordan's never watched before and I have watched many, many times. Cause... So what is our fourth instalment into this heist season? We're going to watch St. Trinian's. <laughs> of course we are. Oh, come on. You were like, is that a heist film? And then you read the synopsis and you're like, it is a heist film. Yeah, I was like, it, it, it ticks yeah, the boxes. It it's it got ticks, the criteria. It ticks all the boxes. It's even got your whole favourite getting the team together mm. montages. It's got everything. Everything that you have said, it's got a great soundtrack. It has getting the team together. It has the different characters. It has the heart-stopping bit. Everything that you said that you wanted in a heist film is in St. Trinian's, along with Stephen Fry. Let's do it. And Rupert Everett and Drag. <laughs> well, you've got that to look forward to next week. Yes. And that is it for <laughs> another episode of his film, Her Movie. See you next week. See you next week. <laughs>